Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you that these online resources are never meant to be a substitute for God's good plan for you to be present, connected, and serving in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you live in the West Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we encourage you to come check out one of our Sunday services. Now, as you prepare your heart to receive God's word, we pray that his spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Let's try one more time. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. morning. Amen. I'm so grateful to be with you, my family as well. Like Jason just said, I really do feel like this is a second family. We are one big family in the Lord, so whenever we're here, I really do feel at home with the people of God. You can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 is what we'll be studying today. Psalm 1. As a kid... I enjoyed those choose-your-own-adventure books. If you're familiar with them, you read the story, and it reads like any other story up to a certain crisis point. At this point, the main character has to make a decision about which way he'll go. He has to decide whether he'll walk through door A or door B. He has to choose whether he'll go north or south. He has to choose whether he'll walk down path one or path two. I enjoy those stories because ultimately the decision was left in the reader's hands. You, the reader, made that choice. If you decided that the character went down the first path, well, you might jump ahead to page 80 or page 100 and pick up the story from there. If you decided that he's going to go through the other door, Well, you just keep reading as usual. What happens is that in those type of books, there's two distinct outcomes based on that decision that the reader made. For each of us, in some way, we have that same responsibility. Not for a fictional character, but for your own life. You see, for every person in this room, for every person in the world, we must each decide how we're going to live. And that decision has implications. How we decide to live will determine our fate. How you decide to live will determine your destiny. In Psalm chapter 1, what we're going to find out is that there's fundamentally only two ways to live. There are only two ways to live. To either live in the way of the Lord or to live for yourself. To live on the path of blessing or to live on the path of cursing. To live in godliness or to live in sin. To live in the way of the righteous or to live in the way 
of the wicked. And that decision will ultimately bring you and I to a destination. Psalm 1 will show us these two paths and will face us with this question, which path will you choose? Which will you choose? If you're not already there, you can turn to Psalm chapter 1. Now, the book of Psalms is the prayer book, the praise book for the people of God. Each psalm was a poem that the Israelites would sing in their corporate gatherings of worship to the Lord. Now, for Psalm 1, the author is unknown. When it was written was, is unknown. The background for why it was written is unknown. But what we do know is that its position at the beginning of the book is highly significant. Because the book of Psalms was written by various authors from Moses to David at different times throughout Old Testament Israel's history, it means that the book of Psalms is not arranged randomly or chronologically, but thematically. And the Psalm we're studying today is first, not because it's the oldest, but because it's the most foundational. It is the fundamental Psalm. Psalm 1 speaks to truths that will aid a person to understand not only the rest of the Psalter, the rest of the book of Psalms, but really all of life. And when it comes down to it, the thesis of Psalm 1 is this, you must choose from one of two ways to live. In verses 1 to 3, we'll see the description of the first path, and that's where we're going to spend the most of our time. And verses 4 to 6 will show us the second path. This is, where we'll, this is where we'll see the path of the wicked. As we look at this psalm, it's helpful to keep in mind that the psalmist is not just merely trying to inform us of information, but he wants to motivate us to action. He wants us to think about how we will choose to live and to choose wisely. This leads us to our first path. Number one, there are only two ways to live. Which will you choose? Path number one, the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous. The psalmist begins in verse one, blessed is the man. In the same way that the Lord Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitude saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. He was saying, blessed are these type of people, likewise live like these type of people. So the psalmist here begins in the same way with a declaration of divine blessing. Blessed is the man. The word blessing here means to be very happy, overjoyed, glad. So friend, if you've ever wondered to yourself, what does it mean to live the good life? What does it look like to have a happy life? What does it look like to be hashtag blessed? What does that actually look like? Look no further than to the scriptures. Here we find the psalmist is saying, listen to what I'm about to describe and treat it as a roadmap and follow this path and you too will know what it is to be blessed. He says in its entirety, verse one, look at your Bible. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist begins with three negatives showing what the blessed person, the person on the righteous path, does not do. And the essence of what he says is the person walking on the righteous path refuses ungodly influences. The person on the righteous path, the person seeking to live a happy life, renounces corrupting influences. Now, I want to be clear right off the bat right now that what we're reading here is not how to become a Christian. Rather, this psalm is a description of what a faithful life lived for the Lord looks like. As you know, brothers and sisters, the only way a person is saved is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and in his resurrection. It's by placing our faith in our Savior that we're transplanted, we're removed from the lane of the unrighteous and placed on the lane of the righteous. What we're reading here, what we'll read in the rest of this psalm about the way of the righteous is about what it looks like to live a faithful Christian life. And the psalmist begins that refusing ungodly influences is the first part of walking on this path. And this is to no surprise. It's intuitive. It's human nature that we become like the people we associate with. Teens, this is the reason why your parents, one time or another, have wisely said to you, hey, be careful who you're friends with. Why? Because if you start running with the wrong crowd, you'll start doing the wrong thing. And here, our psalmist is bringing the same logic. He's saying you cannot allow yourself to be negatively influenced by people who don't fear God or else you'll begin to act like them. Firstly, he says, verse one, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, walks not, who doesn't follow, who doesn't live in the same way, in the counsel, who walks not in the counsel, that is the guidance, the direction of the wicked. Here the word wicked is referring to those who are morally backwards, those whose understanding of right and wrong is upside down because they don't derive it from God and his word. Brothers and sisters, the writer is essentially saying this, happy are those who don't follow godless advice from godless people. Brothers and sisters, be very careful who you receive guidance from. Not all advice is equal. And just because a person is sincere doesn't mean their words of wisdom are words of godly wisdom. The financial advisor who says to you, you know you'd be further along on your savings goals if you stopped giving to the church, right? The manager who subtly insinuates that if you fudge sales numbers for this quarter, he'll put in a good word for you to get promoted. Each of these and anyone else who would advise you contrary to the standard of the word of God must be rejected, must be refused. The writer continues, verse one again, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. 
That is to associate with, to identify with sinners. Here, the idea of sinners has that it's a person who misses the mark of God's righteousness. The psalmist is saying, blessed are those who don't join in the out-of-bounds living of others. As in, blessed of God is that university student who doesn't go to that Friday night party where she knows she will be tempted towards drunkenness and immorality. Blessed is that person. Blessed is that person on the righteous path. He keeps going. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Do you notice the progression? We went from a person walking, standing, and now they're sitting. What we have is a person who is becoming increasingly comfortable with sin. Here, it's spoken to of people who scoff, those who make mockery of serious matters, especially the things of God. The psalmist is saying, you're on the right path when you choose to speak no evil when others do. Meaning, glad is the saint who does not join with his neighbors as they use the Lord's name in vain and speak evil of those whom God has placed in government in our country. In this first verse, as the psalmist gives these three negatives, he's communicating the same idea but with different artistic language. And the point is this, don't associate with ungodly people in such a way that you would become a participant in their ungodly ways. Don't act like a non-Christian. That's what he's saying. You may be around non-Christians, believers, but don't act like a non-Christian. Now to be clear, Our passage is not telling us that we are never to interact with those who don't call on the name of the Lord. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that would be totally impossible. Since our world is majorly filled with people who don't fear God, the only way for you to only be around Christians is if you left this world and went to heaven. On top of that, we have a great commission. We're supposed to go and preach the gospel to those who are not saved. And yet... What our passage is saying is that we don't associate with non-Christians to the point of behaving like non-Christians. Friends, remember, remember, the Lord Jesus was said to be a friend of sinners, but he never sinned. Paul said, I become all things to all peoples. But he also said, I don't do anything that would disqualify me. I don't do anything that would endanger my faith. Brothers and sisters, Are there relationships in your life that are causing you to compromise? Do you have relationships with non-believing friends, family, co-workers that are causing you to slip? Beware. As you begin to slip, it's only a matter of time until you'll fall. And your life will be indistinguishable from those who don't know Jesus. For some of us, for some of you, this may feel daunting. When you think about your family, when you think about your workplace, and yet, Christ follower, by the power of God's spirit, 
The Lord is able to keep you from succumbing to sinful influences and influencers. Take courage and remember the example of Joseph who faced the temptation day after day to sleep with his employer's wife. And yet by the grace of God, he did not falter. Remember believer Daniel, who worked on the Parliament Hill of Babylon and would not compromise to idol worship even when they threw him to the lions and the Lord was with him. Church, remember Lot, who literally lived in Sodom. Literally everybody around him, apart from his immediate family, was in love with sin. And yet 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8 says that righteous Lot did not participate in the wickedness of his day, but was grieved by the evil around him, and that the Lord rescued him when judgment came. Saints, in the same way, the Lord is able to keep you from stumbling. In the same way, the Lord is able to preserve you in whatever sphere of life you are in, where there's negative influences around you, God is able to sustain you and keep you walking on the path of the righteous if you would continue to trust in him, if you would continue to lean on his spirit. Friends, if we're to walk on the righteous path, know that it means we must refuse being influenced by the ungodly. Now, in contrast to sinful influences, the person on the righteous path, the blessed man, the blessed woman, is influenced by something else. Look at the scriptures. It says in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So instead of, but instead of being influenced by negative people, by those who don't know the Lord, by sin, this person, those on the righteous path, devote themselves to the word of God. Our passage says the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is another way of referring to God's revelation as contained and the scriptures. For the original readers of this text, this would have included the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Torah, as well as any of scripture that had been report recorded up to that point. For us today, the law of the Lord is all of God's truth as found in the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. It's called the law of the Lord, because God's revelation, the Bible alone, tells us what God commands and requires of humanity. And it's only those who live in alignment with this book who can be said to be living in the right way according to God. You see, friends, it's at this point that we see how a person responds to God's word will determine everything else about their life and their afterlife. How you choose to respond to the word of God will dictate everything else about your existence. For the person who's on the path of the righteous, their response to the word of God is what? Verse two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights in the law of the Lord so much so that he meditates on it day and night. For the saints on the righteous path, 
all of his enjoyment, contentment, satisfaction is found in this book, God's book, and for good reason. Because the word of God is the most valuable treasure in all of existence. Brothers and sisters, it is by hearing and reading the Bible and through the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit that a person is brought to the knowledge of their sins and to the knowledge of the Savior and made wise unto salvation. It's through the scriptures that we are sanctified, saints. Sanctify me by the truth. Your word is truth. It's through the scriptures that we learn of the precious and very great promises that God has to us who believe. Saints, it's through the Bible, as it says in Psalm 19, that it's through the scriptures that the weary soul is revived, the simple are made wise, and joy is brought to the heart of the Christian. Friends, it is through the scriptures that we receive the good that, has, that God has intended for us. I'll say it again. It's through the scriptures that we receive the good that God has for us. If you want to know and experience all the goodness that God has for you, believer, you must be deeply rooted in this book. There is no other way. The life that is most blessed is the life that is most filled with and consistent to the scriptures. This is why for the blessed man, his entire preoccupation, his constant thought is on the word of God. But he meditates on it day and night. The idea behind the word meditate here is to muse on a subject, reciting it aloud or in your mind until it becomes a part of your thinking and guides your actions. The implication here is that the man filled with the word, the woman filled with the word is not just filling his mind, her mind for the sake of Bible trivia, but for the sake of knowing God and obeying God. The person on the blessed path, on the righteous path, is not only a hearer, a reader of the word, but a doer of the word as well. Follower of Jesus is this your testimony? Is this true of you? Do you love God's book? Are you seeking to know the word more so you can know God more and so you can love him by obeying him? Because church, remember, what we're reading of about the blessed man, the person on the righteous path is meant to be both description and instruction. The righteous man's example, his enjoyment and devotion to the word of God is a natural outcome as well as a disciplined commitment. It's one which every person on the righteous path, every Christian ought to aspire to and emulate. It's just like the young basketball prodigy who loves the game so much that he can't help but play ball all day, every day. And yet, he's so committed to going pro that he disciplines himself to play, to practice, to train, to hone his craft, 
no matter how he feels, every day. Saints, this is the same approach the righteous man has towards the scriptures, and it's the same way you and I ought to approach God's book from a posture of delight and discipline, a posture of desire and duty. If at this moment you're finding little desire towards the word of God, and right now you're in a season where you're not finding the scriptures to be delightful, then brother, sister, I encourage you, make the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 119 your prayer. There the psalmist says, verse 36, verse 37 of Psalm 119, a prayer to the Lord about the word, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Make that your prayer. Pray to the Lord, God, make my heart truly desire the scriptures. Turn my heart away from nonsense and wasteful things, from Netflix, from my phone. Turn my eyes towards your law, oh Lord. And friends, this is scripture. We know this is what God wants to do in your life, believer. He wants to turn your heart to the word. Make this your prayer, Psalm 119, verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Ask God, Lord, give me understanding. As I approach the Bible this morning, please, Lord, give me understanding that this word would fill my mind for the rest of the day. Pray, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Pray to the Lord. Oh God, please open my eyes. I don't want to just read the Bible and, and, and have my eyes glaze. I want to see Christ in the word. I want to encounter God in the word. Open my eyes. Simultaneously, as you wait on God to answer those prayers and to change your desires, likewise resolve that you will act as one who genuinely believes the Bible is what it claims to be, the inestimable word of God, and approach it in that way. Approach the scriptures the same way Ezra the scribe approached the word of God. It says of Ezra, Ezra 7.10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules and Israel, Ezra made a decision. He set his heart. He committed. He resolved. He was determined to be a man controlled and dominated by the scriptures. You too, saint, make that decision. Decide to be a person of the word, that you will know God through the word and love God through obedience to the word. And if you're unsure of where to start, start with a Bible reading plan. If you don't already have one, start there. If you're unsure of what's a good plan, ask your elders, ask your small group leaders. They'd be happy to direct you to numerous options of how to go about reading the Bible systematically. If you're seeking more to meditate on the word of God, why not begin committing scripture to memory? If you don't know where to start, start with Psalm 1. 
Start here. What a wonderful place to start. If you finish this and you don't know where else to go, find an older godly saint in this church and ask them about the verses that mean the most to them in their life. And I'm sure you're going to get 15 verses, 15 passages that can now become the place for you to start memorizing the word of God. Here we've seen so far that those on the righteous path refuse ungodly influences and are devoted to the scriptures. And now we see the result of a life well lived. It's flourishing and fruitfulness. Look at what it says in verse three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does He prospers. The word picture that the psalmist paints is provoking. The person on the righteous path who's denying sinful influences, who's devoted to the word of God, is like this tree that's been uprooted from an arid desert and been transplanted and deeply, firmly rooted right beside the life source of water. It's an evergreen, perennial tree impervious to withering and wilting. It's just overflowing with fruit. I like to consider myself a wannabe gardener. In our backyard, we have like a little plot, and there I basically exclusively grow kale because it's so resilient. I can forget to water it for like three days. It's still going to bring forth a bunch of kale for a salad. Brothers and sisters, wouldn't you love to have a tree like this in your backyard? It's amazing. But friend, consider this. You, Christian, are this tree. You're like this tree when you choose to turn away from sin and be gripped by the scriptures. This is a picture of your life, believer, when you choose to walk faithfully before your God. The psalmist says, by way of analogy, the righteous person is like the ultra-abundant tree in that in all that he does, he prospers. For us to understand what prosper would intend for us, we have to remember that for the nation of Israel under the old covenant, prospering was firstly a physical reality with an immediate fulfillment. It was a physical reality with, a, with an immediate fulfillment. For the people of Israel, if they forsook idolatry and obeyed God's law, they would inhabit the promised land forever. They would have unending crops. They would be protected from invading armies. It was firstly a physical reality with an immediate fulfillment. You can read about that throughout Deuteronomy, specifically Deuteronomy 27 to 29. But things are different for 21st century believers under the new covenant. Prospering for Christians today is firstly a spiritual reality with a future fulfillment. A spiritual reality with a future fulfillment. The kind of spiritual prospering that you and I are guaranteed are the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that Paul has listed for us in Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, for example, that we have been 
predestined to adoption as children of God, that we have been forgiven of all of our sins, that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and have the promise of heaven and eternal life in the kingdom of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't expect the Lord to help us with our physical needs, not at all. We have many promises in the New Testament that would lead us to believe that the Lord's will, the Lord's plan for us is to help us whenever we call upon him. And yet, what it does mean, Christ follower, is that God prospering you doesn't make you exempt from walking through hardships. God prospering you doesn't mean you'll be more wealthy and healthy than Elon Musk, necessarily. Rather, we should understand this verse to apply to us the way we understand a passage like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to apply to us. To trust in the Lord and he'll make straight our paths. Or Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law won't depart from your mouth and he'll make your way successful. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. We should place this verse here, Psalm 1, verse 3, alongside these verses as they apply to us. What it means is that Christian, you will know the direction, provision, support, and grace of God in all of your life. Whether he's calling you to walk through a season of suffering, testing, and physical need, or a season of tranquility, ease, and physical surplus. What it means that God will prosper you is that God will make your life a monument of his faithfulness no matter what he's calling you to walk through. So far we've seen for those on the path of the righteous, the path of happiness, it looks like turning away from sinful influences, turning towards the word of God and knowing the strength and supply and sustenance of the Lord in flourishing. We found that this is the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And again, the question comes to all of us, is this the life you'll choose? Is this the path you will choose? Because remember, there are two paths. Now, as we continue on in our passage, we'll find the second path. And our passage will focus mainly on the destination of those who choose this second path. This leads us to the final point, the final path. There are only two ways to live. Which will you choose? Number two, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked? The way of the wicked. It's not an exaggeration when we say that the way of the wicked is the exact opposite to the way of the righteous. See how verse four begins. Look at the scriptures. The wicked are not so. This is an emphatic statement. The psalmist says, in contrast to the first three verses of Psalm 1, but especially verse 3, the wicked do not flourish and prosper spiritually. The life of the wicked person, the morally backwards, the person who does not care for the righteousness of the Lord, the, the person who scoffs and mocks, mocks at the things of the Lord, for this person... Their life is not defined by eternal blessing from God. 
It's defined by eternal spiritual want, waste, and scattering. This time, rather than taking us to the garden, the psalmist takes us to the farm to depict the spiritual emptiness of a life poorly lived. He says, verse four again, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The chaff is the outer casing, the inedible, the undigestible part of a grain. The chaff was so light that farmers would separate the mixture of grain and chaff by throwing that mixture into the air on a windy day. The grain, because it was weighty and significant, it would fall to the ground, whereas the chaff would be blown away. That's how lightweight it was. That's how insignificant it was. According to this verse, God's word is telling us that to choose to live for yourself, to live in the way of sin and self-centeredness, rejecting God's word and embracing sin, to live in that way is to live a spiritually useless and wasted life. To live in that way is a regrettable life one whose full impact will be felt when you stand before your maker on judgment day. Look again at the scriptures, verse five. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It's at this point that we see how divergent the path of the wicked is from the path of the righteous. It's in their final destination. Here, the psalmist paints a picture of the wicked standing in a courtroom, guilty before the judge. By doing this, the psalmist's goal is to bring to mind the final judgment, the day when all of humanity will stand before God Almighty when the world will end as we know it and each man, woman, and child will give an account to the Lord for all that we have done while living here on earth. It's in that moment of the final judgment that the wicked will be unable to stand. They won't be able to stand in the judgment, meaning they'll, they'll have no leg to stand on. They'll have no justification for the sins they committed in this life. They'll have no reason to validate why they lived for themselves rather than living for the Lord. It's in that day that the wicked will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked on that day will not be with we, the people of God, who are deemed not guilty, who are deemed innocent because of Jesus. No, they won't be able to stand among us on that day. They'll stand apart. And the reason why is obvious. They did not travel on the path of the righteous. They traveled on the path of the wicked. It says in verse six, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Our passage tells us that God not only sees those who are on the righteous path, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. God not only sees his people on the righteous path, but the point here is that God approves. Let's pause there for a moment. 
Church, do you know that if you're seeking to live a holy life, seeking to turn away from sin and to live in obedience to God through his word, do you know that your father in heaven smiles on you? That the Lord looks down on you and he is pleased for Jesus' sake. Yes, indeed, we all trip and stumble on the path of righteousness. And yet our God, full of grace and mercy, picks you up and he gives you the grace to repent. And so know as you trudge along on the path of righteousness, our Father is pleased. He smiles on you. He is gracious to you. He shines his face upon you. Friends, this is why it's so good to be believers. This is why it's so good to be a Christian. You have your God in heaven smiling on your life. But it's different for the ungodly. Verse six says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Whereas blessing is the destination of the righteous, destruction is the destination of the wicked. In Matthew chapter 25, the Lord Jesus speaks of the final judgment and tells us what this perishing looks like on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 25 says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, King Jesus on his glorious throne. Verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The Lord Jesus' words to those who have repented and believed in him, who are on the path of the righteous, is that you've lived a blessed life here on earth. Now enter my kingdom and know the fullness of my blessing. And in the passage, he goes on to list all the righteous acts of those who are on the righteous path. But then he turns his attention to the wicked. He says, then he will say to those on his left, the wicked, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. To those who have lived in the way of wickedness, the only word that the Lord Jesus has for them is, you're cursed. Enter into the fullness of your cursing, the fire of hell reserved for the devil and demons. And then he says in, ver in the last verse, verse 46, and these, the wicked, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the destiny of the wicked, to be banished to hell, the lake of fire, where you'll suffer for your wicked living for the rest of eternity. Once again, God has brought us to the crossroads. God is bringing us again at this moment to the fork and the road, eternal punishment 
eternal life. Cursing or blessing, heaven or hell, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked, which will you choose? Jesus tells us which path to choose. He says in Matthew chapter 7 on the screen, he says, enter by the narrow gate. He's saying, choose the path of the righteous. Enter by the narrow gate. Why? For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate because the wide gate leads to destruction. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus offers to all people, whether they would enter by the narrow gate or the wide gate, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. Moses puts it this way to, the, to Old Testament Israel, and it's true for us right now. Moses said, today I put before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Friend, whoever you are today, choose life. Choose life. Choose Jesus Christ. If you continue down the road you're on, it will lead to destruction. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you must make a U-turn. You must change lanes before you crash. The Lord is calling you away from the way that leads to hell and destruction to the way of Christ, which leads to eternal life. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're already on the path of the wicked. You're already there. But God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to come and save you. Jesus is the truest fulfillment of the man on the righteous path, of the blessed man. Jesus came into the world, the son of God, and turned away totally from sin. He never sinned. He lived in perfection and holiness, obeying the word of God in totality. Jesus went to the cross and there he died in the place of sinners. He died in our place. He died bearing on himself the cursing we all deserve. Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins, bearing our punishment. And on the third day, he rose, proving that his payment was in full, that he had accomplished the mission. He's risen from the grave and ascended on high, and he will return. And now he calls all people everywhere to turn from their, from their sins and believe in him, to turn over their life to him, to trust in him alone for the forgiveness of sins and for salvation. If you'll turn to Jesus and believe... If you turn to Jesus and believe, the Lord will remove you from the path of the wicked and he will place you on the path of the righteous. Choose life. Choose life. Choose the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us is living one of those choose your adventure books. We're all responsible for how we live. And God's word from Psalm 1 has made it clear. There are only two ways to live. And each of us must choose. None of us is exempt from making that choice.
The choice is before us right now to live on the path of the righteous or to live on the way of the wicked. I pray today that you would choose the path of the righteous, to choose to live for the Lord Jesus. Let's pray now. Holy God, we are astonished at your love and your mercy towards undeserving people. There's no one here who deserves your grace, who deserves your salvation, and yet you grant it to us freely. You sent your son to accomplish the work on our behalf, and we worship you for all that you've done for us. Oh God, strengthen us to continue on the righteous path, and help those who are not yet there to turn to Jesus and be saved. We praise you, Lord, for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.